today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will introduce something to steal our affection. And we begin to now look at this thing, turn our hearts towards this thing, and in so doing now, that becomes the object of the affection of our heart. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. We all know what it's like to be distracted by something we admire. Sometimes we get so caught up in the fantasy and lies that we allow it to overwhelm us. But Pastor J.D. reminds us today that we must remain prepared for such schemes from the devil. His intentions are to distract you from what's essential. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. And isn't it true that the more you think on and look at the problem, the bigger it gets? Oh, come on. I mean, our minds have this ability to manufacture the most horrific of scenarios. I mean, we'll go as far down this road, this horror (laughs) movie, as our minds can. And the next thing you know, we're... I mean, we're paralyzing fear. But the other conversely is true as well. The more you look at God, the bigger He gets, and the smaller your problems become. And that's why the writer of Hebrews wants to remind them to fix their thoughts on Jesus. Our second question is in verses 7 through 12. We go from the mind to the heart. And the question is, is my heart turned toward Jesus? Now here, the writer of Hebrews draws our attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit and our propensity to harden our hearts in rebellion. And he exhorts us to see to it, and this is interesting, that none of us have a sinful unbelieving heart that results in our turning away from the living God, a hard heart. To me, this speaks to the paramount importance of guarding our hearts so we're not led astray by that which can, listen, steal our hearts. Let me explain. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will introduce something to steal our affection. And we begin to now look at this thing, turn our hearts towards this thing, and in so doing now, that becomes the object of the affection of our heart. In Matthew 6 verse 21, one of the most powerful 
statements ever uttered from the mouth of the Savior himself. Listen to what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice it's not where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. No. (laughs) That's where your treasure is? Well, I know where your heart is then. Because your heart is going to be wherever your treasure is. This is why he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thief does not break in and steal. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, because if your treasure is here on earth, then that's where your heart will be also. I wonder sometimes. This is one of those times, I'll speak for myself as well, where I think we would do well to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and see if there be anything at all that is keeping us from loving Him, hearing Him, knowing Him. I'm talking about where the Lord is the master passion of your life. The Lord has your heart wholeheartedly, as we're going to talk about more in a moment. Question number three in verses 13 through 19. This is a biggie. Do I encourage others in Jesus? If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the most powerful displays of one's life being all about Jesus, this would be it. And the reason is, is that encouraging others in the Lord is evidence of our love for the Lord and our lives being all about the Lord. But here again, it works both ways. Conversely, discouraging others is evidence of our unbelief, which is why the writer of Hebrews refers to what happened at Kadesh Barnea. What happened there? Oh, very interesting. Numbers 32, beginning in verse 8. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshkol and viewed the land, listen, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and He swore this oath, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly. Not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham Isaac and Jacob, not one, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun. And we're told why. It's because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Their hearts were fully devoted to the Lord. Their thoughts fully fixed 
on the Lord. And they encouraged others in the Lord. Sadly, their voices were drowned out by the other ten. You know what happened, right? So here they come. It's believed that it had been about two years since the exodus out of Egypt in the wilderness wandering. And they arrive at this place called Kadesh Barnea, a place of testing. And it is right on the cusp of the promised land. And the Lord says, enter in. And they convince and pressure Moses to send some guys out first to just make sure before we do. And that's why you have God allowed them to, and it's a very interesting reason, by the way. Stay with me on this, because the question is, why would God allow Moses to send the 12 spies into the land that he had already given them, and it was there for the taking? Why would God allow that to happen? I am of the belief that it was to expose their unbelief. And here's why. And it was actually God's grace. Because that generation, in their unbelief, had they entered the promised land, they would have never made it. They would have been eaten for lunch and had leftovers in their unbelief. And He was really sparing them in His grace and His mercy and exposing them because there were battles. And never imagine that the promised land is synonymous with heaven. It's not. There are no battles in heaven. The promised land is a picture of all of the promises of God that are ours, if we would but believe. Just believe. You know, we don't have a a word for unfaith. We just have the word unbelief. And I'm sorry, I... I have to use this illustration again. And again, if you have a better one, please let me know. You know, when uh, 7-Up wanted to enter the soda market, they had to come up with a brilliant... (laughs) Okay, you already know which one I'm going to (laughs) use. They had to come up with a brilliant marketing strategy, because Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola had the lion's share of the market. So here comes this new soda, this new soft drink. So what are we going to do? to compete. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll call it the Uncola. <gasps> Uncola. Yeah, there's no cola in it. All of a sudden now I'm looking at Pepsi Cola and Coca-Cola out of the corner of my eye because I got the Uncola over here. And do you know it worked? They were able to capture a large segment of the uh, market using just that that brilliant strategy of uncola. You know what an uncola is, right? I know this is deeply profound. So you know when you talk to somebody, they say, what did you, you guys uh, learn at uh, church today? I've learned about 7-Up, the uncola. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, I know this is deeply profound, but 7-Up as the uncola has no cola in it. I know, right? But just like the Christian in unbelief has no belief in them. I know, I got there. It took me a while, but we took the scenic route on that one. Get the point? All of these promises that are ours, 
if we would but believe. You know, when those ten spies came back and drowned out the words of Caleb and Joshua, it spread like a virus of fear throughout the entire camp of the Israelites. And you know what it cost them? Their lives. Over 600,000 men, not counting their wives, died because of their unbelief. I want to end with this fourth question, and it's sort of a collectively, it culminates from the other questions in the chapter, and it's simply this. Do I point others to Jesus? While I certainly do have a love for Bible prophecy, I also have a love for Bible typology. And such is the case with this chapter that we have before us today. Woven into the fabric of this chapter is a typology that is so powerful, so profound concerning Moses, who is a picture, a type of Jesus and points to Jesus, which is why the writer of Hebrews references Moses and Jesus as the greater than Moses. So what I want to do is share with you, this is not exhaustive by any means, but how Moses paints a powerful prophetic picture pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. First, Moses was a mediator because of sin and reconciled men to God. Jesus was a mediator because of sin, and he reconciled man to God. Moses was born as a Hebrew, so too was Jesus, born as a Jew. Moses was born while the Egyptians ruled over the Jews, and Jesus was born while the Romans ruled over the Jews. Moses was born, so Pharaoh tried to kill all of the baby boys. Jesus was born, so Herod tried to kill all of the baby boys. Moses, we're told, was fair when he was born. Jesus, we're told, was the fairest of 10,000 when he was born. Moses was rejected by his brothers, so too Jesus was rejected by his brethren. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights when receiving the covenant. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights when he was tempted by the devil to break the covenant. Moses became a shepherd for his father-in-law. Jesus became a shepherd for his father, our heavenly father. Moses set them free from the bondage of Egypt. Jesus sets us free from the bondage of sin. Moses performed miracles. So too did Jesus perform miracles. Moses sent out 12 to spy out the land. Jesus sent out 12 disciples to go throughout the land. 
Moses had 70 elders to stand by him. Jesus had 70 men that were taught by him. Moses washed the feet of Aaron and his sons. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Moses glowed on Mount Sinai. Jesus was transfigured on Mount Hermon. Moses constructed the tabernacle. Jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. Moses cried, it is finished, when the tabernacle was complete. Jesus cried, it is finished, when his work on the cross was complete. And lastly, Moses had to die before they could enter the promised land. Jesus had to die before we could be born again and enter into his rest from our works. Oh, so good. You know what that's about, right? Especially for those who maybe have loved ones, friends that are Sabbatarians. You know that the Sabbath rest is a rest from the works for salvation. Jesus fulfilled it. That's what he's talking about here. He fulfilled it. Jesus is our Sabbath rest from works. And you see that type throughout Scripture. Yeah, it's the fourth commandment, but it was fulfilled. It was fulfilled. I might as well. I already opened up this can of spread, so bear with me and we'll try to bring it in for a landing. Lord, give me a runway to bring this thing for a landing. So, very interesting. In creation, six days, the Lord created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. And on the seventh day he rested. Was he tired? No. He rested on the seventh day. Uh, the manna. <laughs> Six days. Every morning that manna was fresh. And boy, those guys, those hoarders, you know who they are. They have television shows about them. Tried to gather extra just in case. God didn't pull through. And it turned to maggots. Except on the sixth day there was enough for the seventh day so they would rest from their works. A picture of a type of the Sabbath rest from our works because we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what the Sabbath is all about. I do want to bring it to a close though. You know, as I <laughs> prepare these teachings, and certainly the prophecy updates, I always, in my time with the Lord, ask myself a series of questions before the Lord. And it's almost like a, a template of sorts that I have to superimpose upon that which I'm going to teach. And by the way, I cannot impart that which I do not possess. In other words, I cannot teach it unless I myself first own it. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> I have to own this. I have to, otherwise I'm just up here as a talking head. I'm just talking out of a book and not from the heart as one who has tasted from this cup. And I have to say that we are living in a day, and I think you would agree with me when I say this, like never before, in human history. 
where we have to get Jesus to people and people to Jesus as quickly as we possibly can. I'm telling you, and I say it every week, the Lord is coming back, and it could be any time now, with everything that is happening in the world now. It is exactly as we were told it would be at the time of the end. And it's happening. It's really happening. And Jesus is coming. He is really coming. He promised He would, and God cannot break a promise. He's given us His Word. That's why we call it His Word. (laughs) You know, if I say to you, I give you my Word. I'm, I'm making a promise. I give you my Word. God says, I've given you my Word. You know how many promises are in here? He's given us His Word. There's one promise in particular that I want to leave you with. He made a promise, and He gave the disciples in that upper room His Word, that He was going to go to prepare a place in His Father's house, where there are many dwelling places. And He said, if it were not so, I would not have promised you, I would not have told you. And I'm going to prepare this place for you because I'm going to come back and get you and take you to that place that I prepared for you so that where I am, there you may be also. That's the rapture. That's the rapture. That's a bridegroom speaking to his bride whom he's engaged to saying to her, we are now officially engaged. This is the betrothal. And I'm going to go build a room addition, a bridal chamber on my father's house. And I'm going to finish it. And when I'm done with it, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Ha! Like a thief in the night. I'm going to snatch you away. I'm going to take you away. And I'm going to take you to that place that I've prepared for you. And we're going to celebrate, and we're going to consummate our marriage together for a period of seven, the number of completion. And then, oh, it even gets better. (laughs) He promised. He's given us His Word. So after the seven, we're going to emerge from this place that He prepared for us, this bridal chamber. We're going to have a huge wedding feast. Wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what I'm talking about. Guys, food in heaven, baby. (laughs) I mean, no calories, no cholesterol, no fat, no nothing, man. We are going to feast with Him as His bride by His side. If it were not so, He would not have made that promise to us. And that promise that He's given to us, His Word that He's given to us, is going to happen, I believe, at any time now. Would to God (laughs) that our lives would be all about Jesus. 
You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to study the Word of God. As you continue to learn from the book of Hebrews with Pastor J.D., don't discount the things you're hearing. God may be speaking to you individually today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own, too, to further understand what you've heard on today's broadcast. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly. This only helps you to grow in your relationship with God and others. If you don't have a church home, come be a part of ours. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions, to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to understanding the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Hebrews together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com or come find us on social media. There are links to our Twitter and Instagram pages on our website calvarychapelkaneohe.com That's all we have time for today, but thanks for listening to this edition of In Spirit and Truth. Oh,